0: You're listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. Bridges is a house church movement meeting in homes all across Music City. To find a house church near you or to find other ways to support or get involved, go to BridgesNashville.com. As a six-year-old, young Hattie Mae Wyatt lived near Grace Baptist Church in the Philadelphia area in the late 1800s. Now, the Sunday school in this particular region was busting at the seams and young Hattie May went to go to church and she told the pastor, Russell Conwell, that one day I hope there's enough room for me to attend. And Pastor Conwell looked back and said, when we get the money, we're gonna construct a building large enough so that all of the children in greater Philadelphia can be here. She said, I hope you will because it's so crowded I'm afraid to go there by myself. Young Hattie May, just two years later, got sick, and she passed away at the age of eight. And after the funeral, her mother came to Pastor Russell and handed him a bag, and in the bag was 57 cents. She said, this is from Hattie Mae to you. There was a note beside it under her pillow that said this, to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. Russell changed all of the money into pennies and offered each one for sale. He got $250 and actually had 54 of the pennies returned. That $250 was changed into more pennies and sold by the newly formed Wyatt Might Society. And in this way, 57 cents continued to multiply year after year. 26 years later, in a sermon titled, The History of 57 Cents, Pastor Russell Pastor Russell shared the fruit of young Hattie Mae's simple yet profound donation. A church with over 5,000 in attendance, a hospital where tens of thousands of people had been treated, 80,000 young people going through their college, 2,000 people going out to preach the gospel from 57 cents. When we understand that on this side of eternity, everything is from God and everything is for God, it begins to change our perspective on stewardship on how we can live right here and right now with contentment, godliness, and generosity. I want to show you just a few quotes from some famous people throughout history on giving. You know, Anne Frank was in the Holocaust, and here's what she said. No one has ever become poor by giving. Mother Teresa said, it's not how much we give, but how much love we put into giving. And the great revivalist John Wesley said, it's not how much of my money will I give back to God, it's how much of God's money will I keep for myself. And Wesley didn't just preach this. He actually lived it out. Check this out. In 1731, John Wesley's income was 30 pounds. That would be about $20,000 in today's U.S. currency. And his living expenses were two pounds. So he gave away the two and he lived off of 28 because he figured out that 28 pounds was his roughly cost of living. And then the next year, he records that his income doubled, and yet he still lived off of 28 pounds, year after year, through his songs, that many of them are sung today as hymns. So through his songwriting royalties and his traveling ministry, he earned more and more income, but guess how much he lived off of every year? 28 pounds. In fact, one year, recorded that his income was 1,400 pounds, a significant amount of money in the 1700s, and yet he lived off of 28 pounds. 28 pounds. Wesley knew the truth behind 2 Corinthians verse nine, or chapter nine, verse 11. It says, "You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God." You know, generosity is the love language of the kingdom. And yet, giving especially of our finances, right, is one of the hardest things for us to talk about in public and especially in church. Now, let me go ahead and set you at ease. If this is your first Sunday at Bridges, you picked a good one to be with us. But if you've been at Bridges for a very long time, you know that finances and money is something that I rarely preach on here. And for that, I'm sorry. Why? Why? Because Jesus talked more about money and possessions than any other topic in the Gospels. You know, money is actually mentioned 800 times throughout the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Here's why, I can promise you this. Either you own your possessions or your possessions own you. And we need to know how to steward what the Lord has given us, how to be faithful with much or with little so that we can be faithful with much. And we need to know that The pursuit of endless riches is kind of like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. Now, we've been in this series called The Good Fight, walking verse by verse through the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, we've learned that this is the Apostle Paul's letter to his young protege, uh, Timothy, who's actually pastoring the church in Ephesus. This is modern-day Turkey. And he's telling Timothy a lot of things that he's going to run into as a young pastor And we've been talking about these things. If you've missed any part of this series, you can catch up on our YouTube or our podcast. I highly encourage that. It's been a wild ride so far. We've hit a number of hard topics. And today, we're going to talk about another one. Is that all right? But I believe that you're going to be encouraged and challenged in a new and fresh way to live out the gospel. So let's jump into our text. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn over to 1 Timothy 6. We're going to have it on the screens. Here we go. Some people may contradict our teaching. But these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. Verse 5. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Let's pause there. You know, it's interesting, right here, Paul is basically laying out for us the profile of somebody who has rejected good doctrine and therefore is not producing godliness and true faith in their life. And we've seen throughout this entire letter, all six chapters, what Paul's been doing, right? He's calling out a lot of the false teachers. He's calling out a lot of the corruption that's happening in that day and age. Why? Well, you've got to remember, this is a newfound Christian community, The generation before Jesus walked the earth in the flesh died, was resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. So Christianity is a new thing. And with a new belief system comes a lot of poachers, comes a lot of false teachers. You know, Ephesus, where Timothy would have been pastoring, was a very influential city in this day and age, filled with great wealth. And as we talked about last week, on the other side of great wealth is great poverty, uh, slavery, and there were some who were exploiting the church and using the words of Jesus simply as a method to gain wealth. Not cool, right? But can I make it personal for us? How many of us, if we're honest, might just be following Jesus for what we can get out of him? We read these words in the Bible and we're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great, that's, that's amazing. And my question to us today, an honest question, is are we loving Jesus or are we using him? Are we willing to carry our cross or are we willing to just stop by wearing one around our neck as a fashion statement? I'm sure many of us have heard The message is saying, just follow Jesus and everything will be perfect. Your entire life will work out. Or maybe we've seen that late night slick evangelist on TV saying, if you give X amount of money to our ministry, you're gonna receive X amount of money back and a huge blessing, a newsflash, okay? Now, I've been following Jesus since I was about 12 years old, and I can tell you there have been some very hard times in my life. It has not all been smooth sailing for these last 27 years of my life. I can also tell you, That since being 12 years old, I faithfully tithed. Uh, My income back then was $10 a week. It was an allowance for cleaning up my room. Okay. But I've never been rich. I've never gone lacking either. And that's what brings us to the next verse. Let's read on. Verse 6. I love this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. I'm going to go all inception here for a moment. Instead of a dream within a dream, we're going to go a message within a message if we can. And, and here's what I want you to get out. You can write this note down. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. You're looking for great gain today? Godliness plus contentment is the equation. Now, the Greek word for godliness is eusebia, and it actually is used eight times throughout the book of 1 Timothy. And here's what it means. A reverence for or a devotion, living well. So you can think of that old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. That's actually one of the greatest ways of describing what Eusebia is. It's a godliness. It's everything being well with Jesus at the center. And then the Greek word for contentment, a little harder to say, autarchius, and that means sufficiency. Now, that word actually only appears twice in the entire New Testament. Here in 1 Timothy, and guess where else? In that first verse that we shared. 2 Corinthians 9-11, and that's where we talked about generosity at the beginning. Godliness and contentment, two things I would say are lacking in a big way in today's culture, right? Contentment. Ooh, that's something that we're all searching for, sufficiency, contentment. But everything that we see in the world tells us we're not content. Marketing and advertising, their entire message is to get you to jump into a product that you don't yet have because you're not fully satisfied. You know, it's funny, I, was, I use a lot of, I share this in a message, if you, I, even if I'm going home from the listening room, I use Waze. Okay, it doesn't matter if I've been there a hundred times. I need directions, okay? Sarah will tell you, I need GPS everywhere I'm going. And I don't know if you use Waze or whatever GPS system you use, but isn't it interesting that nowadays when you come to a stop sign using Waze, what pops up? Advertisements. Like as soon as you're stopped, it's like, well, let's bombard them with another image that they need to buy. And it was crazy. I was driving the other day, and I came to a red light, and an advertisement from Burger King popped up. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And so as I'm sitting in the parking lot of Burger King eating a Whopper, I asked my, no, I'm just kidding. It didn't work that time. But everything that we see in life, did you know that the average American sees upwards of 10,000 advertisements every single day? We need this product. We need this food item. We need this batch of entertainment. And you're not going to be content until you have it. You know, contentment was a popular topic from the Stoics. There's a Stoic philosophy that was very popular in Rome and in Paul's time. And and the Stoics defined content as being completely self-sufficient. We're starting to actually see this pop up in a lot of self-help books, uh, that self-sufficiency is your key to life. Well, Paul takes that terminology, flips it around, gives it a little bit of a facelift. He says, yes, you can be sufficient, but not in yourself. You got to be sufficient in Christ. And with Christ, contentment will happen. It's godliness and contentment. Listen to this. Contentment is both the sign of godliness and the reward of godliness. And if you think you're only going to be content when you have that certain amount of money in your savings account, or you got this car, or you got this house, you're missing it. Can I give you some good news today? You can be fully content right here, right now, wherever you're at. How do I know that? Well, Paul wrote another letter to the early church in Philippi. Here's what he said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I know you've heard that verse before. Maybe you thought it just applied to athletes, right? But no, that verse is not just a nice thing on your Twitter account. It's about finding contentment. And it can happen right here, right now in Christ. In his book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, Pastor John Mark Comer tells us, it's often hard for us in the Western world to grasp the gospel of the kingdom. That the good news of Christ and the full life that he speaks of in John 10 verse 10 is available to you right here and right now. Regardless of your income level, regardless of your relationship status, regardless of your health status, through Christ you have full access to the loving presence of of the Father. Comer says that maybe we've come to believe in a different gospel, the gospel of America. In a nutshell, the more you have, the happier you'll be. This is the proverbial carrot dangling in front of the horse's mouth. You're almost there. Just one more pair of shoes, just one more dress, just a bigger house, just a faster car, or maybe an electric car. Hey, I think Teslas are pretty sweet. Listen to this. French sociologist Jean Baudrillard says that in the Western world, materialism has become our new source of meaning. Atheism isn't replacing Christianity. Shopping is. Amazon.com is the new temple. Shopping is the number one leisure activity in America right now. There's a reason, if you think about it, the only other God that Jesus calls out is a God known by the name of Mammon, which is the God of money. The reason Jesus calls that God out is because it makes for a lousy religion. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Timothy, verse 7 of chapter 6. He says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's a lot of good meat in this meal right here. But it's interesting because in this passage, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible appears. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, it's that love that Paul points out. It's this obsession over getting more wealth. Why? Because what you love, you pursue. You can't pursue both at the same time. There's not enough room in your heart to serve the God of mammon and Jesus. More on that later. And and then we see that money is not the root of all evil, just all kinds of evil. Now, we know that there are many roots of evil, lust, envy, and pride to name just a few. So it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil that Paul warns us can actually make us wander from the true faith and open ourselves to many sorrows. Now, look, Paul had nothing against money. He had nothing against the necessity of money. You know, without it, you can't can't pay your bills today, and you couldn't back then. You couldn't put food on the table or clothes on your back. And Paul is simply saying, look, money is not evil, but the striving to get rich is a distraction from what matters in eternity. And it will rob you of a life of godliness and contentment. Now, these four verses that we just read, they pack a big punch, and I actually want to take out four key points. If you're taking notes today, you can write these down or jot them down in your iPhone. Um, I just want to ask you to put your life under the microscope today, not the microscope of Bridges, Nashville, or even Pastor Curtis, but the microscope of Scripture, and ask where God might be speaking to you today as we kind of zoom in here. Four points. Number one, finances are a stewardship issue. You know, Paul says that we bring nothing into this world and we can't take anything with us when we go. Everything we have is from God. It's a stewardship issue. James 1 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. You know, what God gives you is his gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to him. It's a stewardship issue. We are not owners. We're simply managers. Second point is this. Contentment. Contentment. Where do you find contentment? It's yet again brought up in this passage of Scripture, and he brings up these basic needs, food and clothing. I would also lump shelter in there with that. Those are basic needs that we need in this life, and at the end of the day, when you have what you need, you can be content. Third, uh, the love and the pursuit of wealth, it leads to temptations not just for money, but to a bunch of other things that God does not have for us. So just be aware that when you get caught up in that rat race, it doesn't end with simply gaining and earning more money. It actually ends, according to this passage in 1 Timothy 6, it ends in ruin and destruction. And fourth, there's a reason that Jesus said, it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Why would he say that? Well, because many times when you gain riches in this life, you begin to trust in them. Why should I trust God for my provision? I'm doing a pretty good job as provider. Why do I need to pray for my daily bread? As Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, I look at my pantry, it's full. Well, let me ask you, when was the last time you simply thanked God for food on the table and clothes on your back and gas in your tank Hey, we need to pray a multiplication miracle over that right now where the gas prices starting to soar, right? When your sufficiency and your meaning is in Christ alone, and he's the one that you're going after, then everything else just becomes icing on the cake. Today, I want you to hear me. I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. I'm simply trying to help set you free today. You know, the number one cause of stress in America. According to a study on CNBC and by the American Psychology Association, it's money, the number one stress. Not surprising after the last couple of years that we've had that it would be number one on the list. And definitely when you look at the state of our economy today, it can get really easy to worry about where your next paycheck's coming from. But today, if finances are a general concern for you, If you're worried about not having enough, not having your needs met, I just simply want to show you what Jesus said in Matthew 6. This is during his famous Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it says, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of the... Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, meaning those who don't believe in God. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first. Seek first. Seek first. First, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Amen? Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm not asking you to think about my words today. I'm asking you to ponder Jesus' words. Don't worry. I love Mark Turnage. He's a guy that leads uh, expeditions to the Holy Land every single year. And he said this thing that I've never forgotten. He said, you know, when I bring people and I, I help them walk the footsteps that Jesus walked in, and we, we see all of these things, the Sea of Galilee, we see all these amazing things. I love to tell them that, you know, Jesus' entire message, if you boil it down in the ancient language, it really comes down to one word. Relax. Relax. Some questions to ponder as we close today. Are you putting your faith in the wrong gospel? You you can serve money or God, but not both. How can you be a good steward of what God gives you and find contentment and godliness? How can you grow in generosity, maybe to combat the growing for the love of money? I just want to give you a few practical steps today if you haven't taken them already. Number one, this is really fun. Okay, this is when generosity becomes fun. Set aside in your budget a generosity fund. Just, Just a small amount of money to give away at the drop of a hat. When a need arises, to give it away. We like to do this. Somebody might need lunch paid for. I love the smiles on people's faces. Maybe a homeless friend. You can bless somebody. Maybe somebody that you know needs a little help with their rent this month. Set aside a generosity fund. And I promise you, giving is fun. Another step you can take, you know, we believe heavily in this at Bridges Nashville, is to worship through giving. We'll take up our tithes and offerings at the end of every service. And and this is where you give the Lord your first and best. Tithing, it means 10%. And maybe you've never uh, learned about that. Maybe you've never studied on that. It's this biblical practice and principle that we see from Genesis. And this is when you trust God to do more with 90% than you can do on your own with 100%. Tithing is trusting. It's the only principle. It's the only principle in all of Scripture where God says, test me. Malachi 3, 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, some people, uh, I I, I like to, you know, kind of have these uh, colorful debates, we'll call them. And some people might say, well, well, tithing is just an Old Testament principle. It's an Old Covenant thing. And the problem with that theory is that Jesus is actually after your heart, your whole heart. He won't take anything less. And if we look in the Bible, we see that uh, finances is a principle of the heart. You know, we see where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So Jesus is after your whole heart. He even tells the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, hey, give away all of your possessions if you want to be perfect. Food for thought. What if today we took Jesus and Paul's words at face value? Now, I might not be taking that step of tithing today. It might not be giving 10%. That's fine. That's fine. Take a step. Take a step. Do what you can. Bridges Church is a ministry and a family that runs on generosity. Your giving turns into mission. Your giving advances the gospel. Your giving turns into blessing our city and beyond. Every single month, we're supporting church planters and missionaries across the world. And this is kind of a more practical uh, realization that anytime you don't give, you miss the opportunity to build faith in your finances. And anytime you lose the opportunity to build faith, you lose. Don't take God out of the equation. Whenever you bring God into the mix, whether it's with your health, with your family, with your relationships, in your workplace, whenever you bring God into the mix, you're saying, God, I trust you to do more than I can do on my own. And the same is true with our finances. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Today, my prayer for every single person in this room is to step into a newfound contentment and godliness that comes in Christ alone. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. To stay up to date on everything going on at Bridges, you can find us online at facebook.com slash bridgesnashville or at bridgesnashville on Instagram.